What's up, Indicator listeners? This week, we are showcasing some of our favorite Indicator episodes of the year. And one of my faves was a show we did back in April about a high-stakes legal battle over two famous pop songs. Stick around for the end for a quick update, and enjoy. NPR. Oh, yeah, it's the indicator from Planet Money. I'm Adrian Ma. And I'm Waylon Wong. We are listening to Let's Get It On because this song is at the center of a big trial happening next week where the court has to decide what is the difference between musical inspiration and intellectual theft. Let's Get It On was performed by Marvin Gaye, as everybody knows, but it was also co written by a guy named Ed Townsend. And Ed Townsend's heirs, who have the rights to the song, They've accused another musician of writing a song that copies Let's Get It On. Baby, my heart could still fall us hard at 23. Thinking Out Loud by the British musician Ed Sheeran. Ooh, Ed v. Ed. That's right, we got a case of two Eds here. But this case is about a lot more than money. Today on the show, we'll talk with a music copyright expert who explains why this case should matter to musicians and music lovers everywhere, and why the outcomes of these disputes are so hard to predict. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor E-Trade from Morgan Stanley. Take control of your financial future with E-Trade. No matter what kind of investor you are, their tools and resources can help you be ready for what's next. Now when you open an account, you can get up to $1,000 with a qualifying deposit. Terms apply. Learn more at eTrade.com slash NPR. Investing involves risks. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney LLC. Member SIPC. E-Trade is a business of Morgan Stanley. When she was just a kid, Jennifer Jenkins thought she might grow up to be a musician. I had dreams of being a rock star. I played the piano, played the violin, played the flute, uh, was not terribly good at any of them. And like so many people who were not, <laughs> not good at all of their other pursuits, I landed in law school. Jennifer became a law professor, but she is still a music nerd. She specializes in music copyright law, and she still plays piano. And so Jennifer seemed like the perfect person to explain how music copyright infringement cases, like the case of the two Eds, get decided. She says to understand this case, you have to go back to 1946, to a case called Arnstein versus Porter. Now, the Porter was Cole Porter, famous composer of various show tunes and jazz standards. You know, I was in a high school production of Anything Goes. Hey, in olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shocking. Now heaven knows. You know, you know that song? I do, yeah. That's a snappy little tune. So Cole Porter, a household name. Ira Arnstein, on the other hand. He was an unsuccessful songwriter. And he had what one commentator called persecution mania. 
Um, he was just completely convinced that people were stealing his music, even though they probably weren't. And so if you look through the history of music copyright cases, you'll see all these cases called Arnstein versus this and Arnstein versus that. Most of Arnstein's lawsuits got tossed out as baseless, but his lawsuit against Cole Porter would go down in legal history because in that case, the court came up with this two-part test for determining music copyright claims. The first question the jury would have to decide... Are the similarities between these two songs, are they a complete coincidence? Or is there enough to justify an inference that copying occurred? If a defendant never heard the plaintiff's song, then any similarity between the two is just a coincidence. And that's a defense in a copyright case. Though probably not in Ed Sheeran's case. And not just because Let's Get It On is like a super-duper famous song. But also because uh, during this concert several years ago, Ed Sheeran was in the middle of playing his song Thinking Out Loud and then briefly switched into... So it can't be like, Marvin Gaye, never heard of him. Right. He obviously maintains that there was no copying going on. But hypothetically, if a jury were to decide there was some copying happening, there is a second question they'd have to answer as part of the Arnstein test. And that is, did this copying somehow cross a line? You know, was this inspiration or theft? Is it benign, okay appropriation? Or is it unlawful appropriation? Right, like, did did one song copy really big chunks from another, or did it maybe just copy a little bit, but that little bit was, like, the best, most original part of the song? So when you take all this together, that is the test that courts still use in music copyright cases today. Part one, coincidence or copying. Part two, inspiration or theft. And if you're thinking out loud... This seems very subjective. Jennifer says you are exactly right. The weird thing in music cases is there's often no authoritative text that tells us what we're even talking about, what the music even is. Typically, the judges or the jurors don't have musical backgrounds. And so who do they rely on to tell them what we're even talking about? That's the forensic musicologist. The forensic musicologist. Aside from the musicians in the cases, forensic musicologists are low-key the stars of any music copyright trial. And their title might conjure images of, like, a CSI detective dusting for fingerprints and collecting DNA. And it turns out it's kind of like that. It's like, name that tune, who done it? <laughs> These forensic musicologists are experts in music theory who can break down and analyze every little piece of a song. In the case of the two Eds, Both sides have their own forensic musicologists. It's probably important to mention here that forensic musicology is not a precise science, right? And for that reason, Jennifer says the arguments that get made in these cases can get a little fudgy. Like, for example, with Let's Get It On and Thinking Out Loud, they may have different melodies and lyrics and instrumentation, but the plaintiff nevertheless argues that these songs share a key similarity. Key similarity? No! So in the background of Let's Get It On is this chord progression. Okay, here's what's going on in Ed Sheeran. That's what this case is about. 
That's I'm wait, serious. Wait. So I just I I'm almost totally serious. <laughs> I went that happened so fast I almost missed it. So that's the main argument in this case is that. Yep. And, and here's the thing: chord progressions, a lilting rhythm. These are just basic musical building blocks. I mean, there are only 12 notes in the Western musical scale. You know, only so many of those combinations of them that people actually want to hear. Yeah, you don't want to hear my combinations. And yet that hasn't stopped plaintiffs in recent years from claiming ownership seemingly over basic musical bits. Like a few years ago, you may have heard of the case involving a song called Blurred Lines. Everybody get up. Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams were accused of copying another Marvin Gaye song, Got to Give It Up. Oh, they do sound really similar. (laughs) I'm a lawyer. It's the vibe. I mean, in that case, the plaintiff argued that, look, both songs have this, like, funky bass line and this cowbell part, and those are all evidence of copying. And the jury agreed which promptly freaked out the music industry and had songwriters and record companies looking over their shoulder for the next few years. Some even took out insurance policies and hired forensic musicologists to pre-vet their songs. So what does this all mean for the case of the two Eds? I'm not like weeping tears for Ed Sheeran either way. That's not what this is about, right? This is about, this is about all musicians. This is about the musical commons. And this is about whether anyone, including the next Ed Townsend and the next Marvin Gaye, can use these basic building blocks when writing their own songs. If they can't, then the songwriter's toolkit has been severely diminished, and that's bad for music. Regardless of the outcome, it still seems like settling these disputes is an inherently squishy thing, because it'll still come down to the jury decides, and they are still relying on these people called forensic musicologists, and that's kind of a fuzzy thing, too. It's unpredictable. A couple weeks after this episode originally aired, the jury found in favor of Ed Sheeran. This rerun was produced by Corey Bridges and originally produced by Brittany Cronin and Viet Le. It was fact-checked by Sierra Juarez and engineered by Robert Rodriguez. Kick and Cannon edits the show, and The Indicator is a production of NPR. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, hosts Lizanne Saunders, Schwab's chief investment strategist, and Kathy Jones, Schwab's chief fixed income strategist, along with their guests, analyze economic developments and bring context to conversations around stocks, fixed income, the economy, and more. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people.